Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Acts 26 and verse 4. The Jews all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life, in my own country, and also in Jerusalem. They've known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our fathers that I'm on trial today. Verse 7. This is the promise of our 12 tribes, hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night, O king. It's because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too is convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And then just as I did in, pardon me, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priests. I put many saints in prison, and, and they were, when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme in my obsession against them. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of those journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, I was on the road and I saw light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up, stand up on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Let's all read that together. Verse 18, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Verse 19, so then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and to all of Judea and the Gentiles also I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I've had God's help to this very day. And I so stand here to testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets of Moses said would happen that the Christ would suffer and as if 
as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense and said, you're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning has driven you insane. <laughs> Paul says in verse 25, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped your notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long? I pray that God, not only you, but all those who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Father, move in power. Would you just ask God to touch your life and speak to you tonight? Move in power, Lord, I pray. May we never be the same because your word has gone forth and you stand over to see it perform the purpose for which you've sent it. So have your way. Move in power, God, those online in Kenya, all over the world. Move in power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. This is a testimony of the Apostle Paul, which is told in numerous locations in Scripture. The thing that stands out to me, there's many, and we're going to look at this tonight. I'd encourage you to take some notes as we move along. He believed passionately, but he was passionately wrong. He was so set in his ways, and he knew he was doing the right thing, but he was, he was wrong, and he got corrected by the Lord. Anybody ever heard someone, anybody say, as long as you believe? As long as you believe. You know, we don't even believe that. And uh, as I've said so many times before, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis is a beautiful work of teaching you how to think critically, and we don't believe that. Even though people say, as long as you believe, it's okay. As long as you believe what you believe, and I believe, that, that's, that's, that's not even true. Some people think it's right to kill and murder babies in the womb. I don't think it's right. Not only do I not think it's right, I see in Scripture that it's wrong. So it doesn't matter whether you think it's right or wrong. Really, what matters is what God says. What does God say? What, what does the Lord say about what's right, what's wrong? The Apostle Paul, again, passionately believed and followed to the point of even murdering and persecuting Christians, but he was wrong. And yet, the Lord reveals himself to him on that road to Damascus, and we'll look at that in just a moment, and he becomes a believer. He becomes a Christian. And the resurrection of Jesus, as we celebrate that on this day, this Resurrection Sunday, it changed everything for the Apostle Paul. He understood that Jesus was the suffering Messiah of Isaiah 53. He understood the word of God in ways that probably most of us don't hear. As a Pharisee, he would memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You have to memorize the whole Pentateuch. I, I had to memorize a number of scriptures for a test recently. I was so challenged. I don't know why that was. It was just certain meter and the certain way that some of the scriptures were. It had a very hard time. Can you imagine memorizing? Can you imagine memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch? I had to memorize the whole thing. 
I'll memorize some scripture, Pastor. Jesus wept. Okay, praise God. It's awesome. That's true. Shortest scripture in all of the Bible. And, and you can beat the devil up with it too. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He just run like a scalded dog. And Jesus was the suffering Messiah of Isaiah 53 and, and verse 12. You can read that. He'd be the first to rise from the dead, a source of salvation and blessing. He's a fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures like Hosea. Here's an obscure one that you don't get to hear. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he's torn us, but he will heal us. He has stricken us, but he will bind us up. Hosea 6 and 2. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. Amazing if you do a study on what on the third day throughout scripture, how many incredible breakthroughs happen on the third day. Isaiah 25 and 8. He'll swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all their faces. In Psalm 16, because you'll not abandon me, this is David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, is the only one that's called the psalmist, sweet psalmist of Israel, because you'll not abandon me to the grave, nor you let your Holy One see decay. That's the very text that Peter preaches for, on, or mentions in Acts chapter 2, Verse 22 and following, which I preached on this morning, David prophesying, King David prophesying that he would not let the Holy One see decay. And how many of you know he, he's not, Jesus is not in a grave. He's not in a tomb. He rose again. Come on, somebody say he lives. Yeah, he lives. And there's others in Scripture uh, that were resurrected in Scripture. And I would like to think of those as types and shadows or maybe signals is another way to see that. They rose from the dead. The widow of Nain's son rose from the dead. The 12-year-old girl, Jairus, rose from the dead. Paul preached so long that one boy, Eutychus, Eutychus falls out. He pre you think I preach long. He preached so, you think Pastor Kirsten preaches long. He preached so long that Eutychus fell asleep how many of you know he didn't have Xbox 360 or anything like that? He didn't have no PlayStation going on. He just fell asleep because maybe it was hot. He fell asleep and he fell to the ground dead. What did Paul do? He runs down and he raises the boy up over and over and over. You'll see resurrection. Even in the Old Testament where Elijah... And to me, it's a picture of how the anointing, the power of God, the enablement of God, so God so longs to release power to the next generation that, it, that, that even when a man is dead and Elijah is uh, in a tomb, a man's dead, they throw him into the cave of Elijah. As soon as the dead man body hits the bones, he comes back to life. It's a picture that, to me, amongst many things, that God wants to release the power of God through us to the next generation. I love what you said, Pastor Kirsten, about the fact that at times you'll go ahead and fill an envelope out in the giving so that your kids see what you're doing. I'm not sure everybody caught that, but your kids will do what you do. You say, well, isn't that faking or acting? It is not. It's modeling. It's being an example. And, and God longs to pour into this next generation. And so these different ones resurrected. In 1 Corinthians 15, you can turn there if you want to. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. Another word to say that, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is stupid. 
That's what Paul says. So the resurrection that we're celebrating right now, it's a big deal. It's a, Christianity is not just a set of moral rules. Now, it, it, there are moral rules, clearly in Scripture. But it's the resurrection that makes all the difference. You're not saved by obeying the rules. You're, you're saved by repentance and believing on the Lord Jesus. Can you say amen? God can't forgive you just because you asked. God doesn't forgive you just because you asked. He forgives you based on justice. Justice was served through Jesus' death and resurrection. He doesn't forgive you because you're sorry. He forgives you based upon the fact that Jesus was crucified for you in your place. There was a, there was a price that had to be paid. So let's look at Paul's testimony here tonight. It's told three times, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 21, three other times, as well as Acts, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 21, Acts chapter 22, and here in Acts chapter 26. And the context is that Paul is on his way to Jerusalem for the Pentecost festival, which is 50 days from today, 50 days. And he's on his way there, he's on the final leg of his journey and uh, he's doing a, a purification rite for seven days. And he's attacked by some Jews from Ephesus. How many of you know that the Apostle Paul brought about the greatest, the greatest outpouring, the greatest revival in all the New Testament took place in a city called Ephesus? It's always fascinating to me that he wanted to go there, but the Lord, the Lord said no until he had his whole team together. And then he moved him there and had this great outpouring. I'm going to say a side note that many of you want the blessing of God. You want to see that thing happen, but you're not ready for it. So he's preparing you. Come on, somebody raise your right hand and say, he's preparing me. Yeah, he's preparing you. Paul was prepared this, this text where it says to be a light to the Gentiles to turn them from the power of Satan to the power of God. Yeah, he had that word on the road to Damascus when he first was born again. Do you know how long it took for him to walk in that? 14 years, he's out as a life group leader waiting for the fulfillment of his prophetic word. Come on, you saved like 30 seconds and you wonder why you're not like, you know, Bishop of the Northwest. There's a process. There's a process that you have to go through. And so he's, he's, he's had this great revival, and the people of Ephesus are not so happy about it. And it's always the same thing. Anytime you see a move of God, you got people that are thrilled, happy, great. That this, come on, this, look at, look at on, an Easter, on an Easter evening, on a Sunday night, the church is relatively full on a Sunday night when they clearly told me, people in the know. How many of you know people in the know sometimes don't know anything? I said, no, you can't have Sunday night, not in Alaska. There ain't nobody coming Sunday night. Say hi to nobody. Go ahead. Say hi. <laughs> the bottom line is you do what God told you to do. So the apostle Paul is on his way, and he's, and he's being persecuted. They imprison him. He appeals to Caesar. So he's standing before King Agrippa in Caesarea testifying because Festus had a to write a testimony to Caesar. So he's, it's before he goes to Caesar and he's talking to Festus and he shares this text that we, that we read. Paul sees a resurrection as, a, as an objective fact. In, fact. in fact, he says, it's a reasonable thing. It's reasonable, Festus. 
it makes sense. It's logical. It's all been done before you. And he appeals even to Festus's reason. And I, I like that. Because I've had people say, well, you just, you just need to take a leap of faith. Yeah, that's true. You do need to take a leap of faith. But when you really study and you look at God's word and you look at the objective facts and you study the, the scriptures from Old Testament to New, the leap of faith really isn't all that big. It's really not all that big. You just begin to see his companions. Look at verse 13 and 14. His companions heard a voice, so not the message. They, they saw light, but not Jesus. And, but they all fell to the ground. I've shared this story before, but I can't. Every time I read this particular text, I remember uh, what happened. I, I was a, a painter. It was the final job I had. I was a professional painter. I don't know how professional I was, but I was a painter. And I worked for a very, very wealthy family. And they had three large homes on one large piece of land. And we worked on one house, painted it interior, exterior, and then we moved to the second one. We painted the interior, the exterior, and moved to the third one. We painted the interior and exterior of that one. By the time we were done, and all their color choices and color changes, I changed my mind. I don't want a gloss. I want a semi-gloss. I mean, we would paint over and over and over. And by the time you're done with the third one, you move back to the first house, and you just keep painting them all. But we just stayed there, just stayed there for two years painting over and over and over and over. And uh, I was just waiting to go into the ministry. Well, this, was, this man was a, a Baptist missionary who had gotten, clearly had gotten wounded by the church. And I don't know what happened. I could never figure that out. But he was standing on a platform with the general contractor who, that, who made fun of me on a regular basis about my faith. I had been somewhat persecuted. Nobody burned me at the stake, although... I think maybe they wanted to at times. And he's standing there, and over his head was a light that they could not fix. They had, they had rewired it. They had replaced it. They checked the fuse. I mean, it was one of these strange anomalies that they couldn't get this light to work over, the, over his head. And so I'm leaving to go to uh, the week, you know, it's the weekend. It's the end of Friday. Got Saturday and Sunday. Couldn't hardly wait. It's church. Man, oh, we're going to go worship God. And as I'm leaving, I said, hey, God bless you guys. And he stops me. He says, okay, okay, Paul, what did he fall off of? Tell me what happened. When he fell, what happened? Tell me that whole story about Paul. I'm like, well, I don't have the word in front of me, and it's before we had it on phones. I said, um, I don't know. From my memory, a light shined around him, and uh, he fell off of his horse, and he was on the ground. He fell off of his horse? I said, yeah, I think so, yeah. He's like, no, he didn't. I'm like, okay, how many of you know it doesn't say he fell off his horse? It does not say that. He's like, it does not say that. Oh, you Pentecostals, you need to study the word. I'm like, okay, sorry, lighten up. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have it in front of me right now. He says, and the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. This is totally what happened. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. And he starts mocking the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking, oh, you, you're on dangerous ground now. You ain't, you ain't messing with me. I'm not being offended. Lord, forgive him. God, help him. He's like, oh, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. He says, Holy Ghost, my foot. And when he goes like that, the light goes on over his head. And he goes, huh. And he looks up, and the contractor looks up, and he looks up, and I look up, and then they look at me, I'm like, amen. And I just left. 
God's honest truth. Signs and one, you know what a wonder is? It's a sign that makes you go, hmm. It's a sign that makes you wonder. So we see in verse 13 and 14, they, they, heard, they, heard, the, they heard a voice and not the message. They, they saw a light, but they're all, they're all to the ground. They were, there were eyewitnesses of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. 500 people saw him. Wow. Some people say it was a hallucination. Mass hallucination. You should see the lengths that people go to to try to prove that Jesus didn't rise again from the grave. A mass hallucination. Now the story's true. And I, I said that this morning. Brutally honest. Women who couldn't vote. You're going to appear the first person that's going to testify that you rose again as a prostitute. I think you'd pick somebody else. I don't have anything against prostitutes. Once they get born again, I have everything against prostitution. The sin, not the sinner. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Of everything against prostitution is wrong. I was going to make a wise crack about people that preach the gospel for money. It's kind of like a prostitute. Anyway. I better look at my notes if we get myself in trouble. The story's true. Brutally honest. Why, why would you say that a woman? Because that's what happened. Over and over and over, you see how God just revealed his plan to, to people. And it didn't happen like, I mean, if something happened in Anchorage, it was 45 miles from here. You think, well, wh where is that? You know, by the Beans Cafe. You know, right there. Do you know where that is? Do you know where that one store? And, and you could like, maybe you've been there enough to figure out, oh yeah. Okay. This is not 45 miles away. This resurrection took place. It's like, how many of you know your neighborhood pretty good? I know my neighborhood pretty good. So when I'm pulling out of my neighborhood, I know their cars. I've been there for 12 years. I know basically, who, oh, they got a new car. I know my next door neighbor waved at me and Karen's like, who's that? I said, oh, that's the next door neighbor. I met her when we were giving cookies and she's going to be in the church soon. And a lot of our neighbors actually have ended up coming to the church and we're just getting the whole neighborhood saved. It's, I've got something about that. Some of you need to take possession over your neighborhood. I was standing on my porch in Kauai so many years ago, and it was a cul-de-sac, and this car pulls up on my road, and they all get out, and they, they, they have their bags and their children, and they start going to the first house, and I know for a fact, I know that it's Jehovah's Witnesses. And so I'm on my porch. I can see them. They're, they're clearly 100 yards down the street. I said, hey, hi. They're like, hi. I'm like, yeah. Are you guys from Jehovah's Witnesses? Yes. I said, okay, this is my block. Excuse me. I said, yeah, this is my block. Oh, I said, yeah, so you don't want to go to any of the houses here. They belong to me. They're like, okay. And they got back in their car and they left. Come on, we need to take authority. We need to take authority. 
We, we have the truth, the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an objective truth. Didn't happen in some, I know my neighborhood, I started saying that, remembered that story. I know my neighborhood pretty well. The resurrection of Jesus Christ took place. I mean, I, we have a trip to Israel. I hope that you could come. And if you've never been there, make plans at some point to go to Israel. Because what will blow your mind, as it did for me, is it's small. Really small. That everybody knew where the tomb was. Everybody knew where all of these things happened. It didn't happen 100 miles away. It happened right there in their neighborhood. You was walking distance to all of these places. It's absolutely amazing where Jesus was resurrected. Not a far off land. He's telling the story to Festus. And he's cut to the quick. I shared some theories about what happened to the body. It's Resurrection Sunday today. Shared some theories about what happened to the body. And um, I, I don't think I shared this one. I shared some others in the morning, but one of them was the wrong tomb theory. No, literally, people actually come up with these ideas that these are, these are why the resurrection didn't happen, but it looked like it did. So the wrong tomb theory, let me read this to you. Uh, the wrong tomb theory is it, it says that the Romans took the body, or, or the Jews took the body, depending, and they put it in a different tomb. So when when the stone was rolled away and then the body wasn't there, they, they had the wrong tomb. That attributes some incredible stupidity on behalf of the Romans and the disciples were brain damaged to actually think that that's what happened. No, no, it was a tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. They all knew what tomb it was. Just like if you have someone pass, you know where they're buried. No, I think, no, you know. Listen, my, I talked about our child that went on to be with the Lord early. I could walk you to the place, stand right there and say, this is it. This is where my son was buried, right here. Is it over there? No, 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 it's here. You know, and you have headstones and things like that now. So for them to say, well, it was a wrong tomb, it's... That's uh, insane. The swoon theory is, uh, and I talked a, bit, a little bit about that, the chief evidence of the swoon theory that cited is to the support of the theory is that the Gospels admit that Jesus was not on the cross for a very, very long period of time, relatively short period of time, and that you, don't, you actually don't die that quickly when you hang on a cross. You die of asphyxiation. You, you get so exhausted. Your legs get so tired. You can't push yourself up, and your diaphragm collapses, and you can no longer breathe. It is one of the most horrible deaths that there is, so they say in history. And the Romans were very good at killing people, masters of execution and war. So because Jesus only, you know, was on the cross for a brief short, for a brief short, you know, period of time, they said, well, then he, he must have just faked his death. I don't know what you do with the spear that's jacked up under his rib through his heart and all the blood and water falling out. I don't know how you get miraculously healed of that. 
Now, the disciples weren't stupid. Romans weren't stupid either. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the only way to explain a Peter who comes out of the upper room preaching until thousands of people get saved. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to explain your life. It's the only way to explain mine. It's the only way to explain. You were messed up, and some of you still are, but you're here tonight for your first service, perhaps. Give your life to Jesus. He can raise you up. Come on, how many of you are thankful for what Jesus has done? Give him praise on Resurrection Sunday right now. Thomas the Doubter goes to southern India, spreads the gospel. I, I shared this morning about all the disciples and how they died. They all died martyrs, except John. He didn't die a martyr. They say he lived a long life and passed away. They tried to kill him. French fried John, boiling oil. They put the man in boiling oil. So, I mean, what does that look? What is, I, I mean, I don't, we don't really know. Did all his skin come off? I mean, that's kind of gruesome. Boiling oil? Boiling oil is not good for your complexion. And yet, he does not die. He doesn't die, and he lives, and he, he goes to the island of Potmos, you look at the lives of the people that were around Jesus. All of them gave their all and died, hung upside down on crosses, crucified themselves over and over and over and over. No, the resurrection's real. And what you see here is you see Paul is basically called by God, commissioned by God in a number of different ways. Look at with me, verse 16. He's commissioned to be a servant. Wow. He's commissioned to be a servant. You know, we're all called to be servants. He's commissioned to be a witness, to share. That's what we're all called to do, to share about how, what God has done. What was he called to do? Look at verse 18. I had you read this. To open their eyes and to turn from the darkness, from darkness to light. To open their eyes. We're called to help people see. Why do you have so many services, Pastor Daniel? Why do we have services on Saturday, an intensive spiritual warfare conference over this past? Why do we have service on Sunday morning two times? And, and Sunday, isn't once enough? No, it's not. Because there's too many people that are blind. There's too many people that don't know. He's like, well, it's just too much church for me. I respect that. You be led by the Lord. We're staying open because there's a lot of people that are blind. And, and God's called us to be servants. He's called us to be a witness. He's called us to turn people from darkness to light. There really is the power of the devil who blinds people. Gosh, you're intense. I know. It's okay to be intense when death is on the line. Princess Bride. Turn people from darkness to light. The power of Satan. That, that, that's intense. The power of Satan. You say, well, that's, that's shit in the first testament. Oh, no. It's true now. Just as it was back then. There is a, something that's called the power of Satan. It's like right now, I can just sort of sense, as one of his word of knowledge, that there's some of you just want me to shut up. You came for the baptism. You can't wait till I stop talking. Because you're so irritated you hate my face right now. You, you're like, my gosh, can he just calm down? Just calm down. Yeah, it's because you're being controlled by demon power. Uh, 
There's demon power. So if right now in your heart you're like, oh my gosh, shut up, shut up, leave, just leave. They'll think you're going to the bathroom. Get up and go. That's a devil. How do you know? Because they used to talk to me when I first came to church. Oh my God, there's an offering again. You're bound. Let's all have a praise break. I'm not feeling the love right now. Where's my keys? Come on, my handsome friend. How many appreciate Brother Toby? turn people from the power of darkness to light and the power of Satan to God. There are, whether you realize it or not, I'm going to say something very plain. People that don't want to serve God, please listen to me. Biblically speaking, people that don't receive Jesus, don't want to love God, don't want to go to church, don't, don't want to hear the gospel. In fact, hate Christians. It's not a matter of opinion. I'm telling you, biblically, they're blind. Who's blinded him? Well, it sure ain't God. It's the devil. There is demon power. And he wants to keep you blind. You know, in my own life, I came to Christ a long time ago. But I think the thing that's amazing to me is that we can have issues. We can have belief systems in our life that are contrary to truth. They're called strongholds. And I had one about money. It was a big one. I told you the stories. I'd leave my wallet in my car. It was held together with duct tape and prayer. Not a poverty spirit. And it's like, man, the worship. I couldn't wait to worship. I mean, worship, worship to me when I was coming up in the church and, and, and becoming a leader before Pastor Kirsten was born. <laughs> I just couldn't wait. I'm like, man, we get to go to church. We go to church. We just come and I just couldn't wait, man, somebody to pray for me. Oh, and, and I would I'd do come crazy stuff with people to line up, but I'd look for Dr. Morocco. Oh yeah, I'd line up. So doctor would be like starting to pray here and I, I couldn't get in there because it was already packed and I'd be like here and he'd go that way. I'd be like, I could tell he, he kind of had a line and I'd be like, I didn't know that the pastors knew what I was doing. Pastor Karen, I taught her to do the same thing. We were courting back then and dating. <laughs> Pastor Alan Carvalho says, you know, the same Jesus that touches you, uh, you through Dr. Morocco is the same Jesus can touch you right now. Lift your hand. <laughs> we got set free. <laughs> Yet at the same time, I couldn't wait for worship, couldn't wait for the preaching, but that offering thing. So when the offering would come, I'd be like, oh, shut up. My gosh. And I'd leave and I'd go to the bathroom and I'd be like, listen, no, he's not done yet. That's a long teaching. Okay. And then I just kind of wander around outside, say hi to a couple of people. What's up? Hey, how's it going? What's up? Yeah. Broke, busted, bound, $120,000 in debt. All they want is my money. What are you trying to talk about? I'm, I was bound. You want my money? Trying to get me free. 
Don't worry, I'm not taking an offering, relax. Maybe we should just to stick a fork in it. You guys are crazy. But that's just an example in the area of finance. It's, it can be in all kinds of different areas. I had hopelessness in some areas. In other areas, I was free and exuberant. The enemy comes to blind you. You can be blind in your relationships. Look at verse 18 with me. From the power of Satan to the power of God. So that, why does it, so that, what does that mean? So that, in order that, for the purpose that, think about that. Why would God turn you from the power of Satan to the power of God? For the purpose that you may receive forgiveness of sins. The whole point is for you to be forgiven, to be, you to be cleansed, for you to be washed, for you to, to receive the power of the resurrection in your life. It's not some cute little religious thing, it's real. I had an ocular migraine when I came tonight. You know what an ocular migraine is? First of all, I don't get them. Uh, except I had one on the way here. And that's when your vision just gets, you, you start having vision problems. My head is pounding so bad. And I thought, I had a, a thought for a moment. Now I'm gonna call Pastor Kirsten, man, I, I, I need, it was bad. And I just thought, oh, no, you don't. He's ready, he can preach instant great preacher. Have a bunch of great preachers. Uh, just pass the baton. But you know something, something happened to me a long time ago. The stuff, the ends I used to go to, Pastor Vince, the ends I used to go to to do evil. The ends I used to go to to satisfy my own greed before I was saved. So it's a beautiful thing because when I run into, when I run into difficulty now, I, I'm, oh, I can preach with the migraine. Truth is, three quarters of it's gone right after you prayed for me. I could have caved. I could have just gone, well, and I understand. Please, I understand. You have to fight the fight that God wants you to fight. I'm just saying, you have to be diligent to press in. And, 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 and don't just roll over. You got to contend. You got to believe the power of the resurrection is real. And it's why, why would we do that? Because I knew God wanted me to preach this message. It's my turn to preach. And I knew that when I would, that you would be touched. Many people right now are being impacted by the truth of the power of the resurrection. There's hope for you. Young man with your hand raised, stand up on your feet. Just right where you're at, I have a word from God for you. The Lord has seen your cry. And you have been interceding and asking God for breakthrough. There has been a number of different things that are happening around you, almost like, like bombs going off to the right and the left, I see. But the Lord has led you and taken you by the hand and led you out. He also says, I have called you even to declare and to proclaim my word to a lost and a hurting and a broken people. I see a missionary call upon your life. And then the Lord says, I'm preparing you and I'm training you. I'm teaching you now. And there are some things that happened even with authority back years ago when you were a boy and some wounds that took place. The Lord's bringing you out of that. It's, it's, it's a, dull, a dull memory, but the stinger's being removed. And I see God using you to be a father to many. I see God using you to touch the lives of a generation. Lift your hands, son. Holy Spirit.
touch right now. I'm going to put what you need in your hand. There's an urgency and of preparation. You're to give yourself to it. And I see God preparing you, teaching you, training you. Even in the night watches, I'm giving you dreams. I'm opening your eyes. Would you come to step into the aisle, please? I'm opening your eyes, says the Lord, to the structures that have kept so many bound. I'm opening your eyes to the things of the Spirit of God. And I'm releasing to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. You're hungry. You've got some very real questions that you want answered, and the Lord says, I'm going to answer them all in time. Holy Spirit. The Lord's commissioning you. See yours. What? Wow. The Lord's commissioning you, son. Oh, don't get up. You're good. You're good. Oh, well, I'll fall on you myself. <laughs> Just receive. The Lord's commissioning you. As the Apostle Paul is commissioned, you are being commissioned. You've heard these words already. You've said yes already. Uncle just told me that you're over the women's facility there. Well, I bless you. As you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. And I see God preparing you. And I see God giving you money. There was, uh, there's some things that took place where some finances didn't quite flow the way they should have. The Lord says, I'm removing the hold that the enemies had on some finances and I'm releasing it to you. I even see some debt that's being repaid. There's some things that were stolen, some things, some things that didn't work out. The Lord said, I'm releasing it all to you. It's gonna be a sign. Lord, do it. Thank you, Lord. Come on, somebody say thank you, Jesus. Whoa! And this is really what happens here in this text is Paul commissions. He's get, he gets commissioned. And he's talking to King Agrippa about the commissioning. See, what do we get from that, Pastor? That God's commissioning you. He's commissioning me. He's calling us all, each and every one, to turn people from the power of Satan to the power of God, to be servants. Come on, someone say, make me a servant. Make me a servant. To be a witness. To believe in Jesus is the first step. And you have to have a desire for other people to be impacted. We're doing everything we can to reach people. We didn't do the, the egg hunt because we felt like the Lord said, don't do it. So we didn't. Will you do it next year? If he says do it, we'll do it. We've done other things and we'll continue to do other things. We have conferences and outreaches and we have these life groups and we're driven. Somebody said to me, they said, Does your, do, you ever, do you guys ever let up? Mike, no, what do you mean? I don't know, I just, you guys always have something. Always have a conference, always have a life group, always have some special thing you're doing. Is that, is that like on purpose? Well, yeah, it is. Why? 
because there's blind people that God called us to reach. This whole place is a soul saving station. That's why we do what we do. That's why we, that's why we pray the way we pray. That's why we that's why we give the way we give. That's why we that's why we do what we do. Can you imagine? Think about how you got saved. Go ahead and think about how is it that you got reached? Usually it's one on one. Somebody invited you. How horrible would it be if our heart towards the lost got cut off? I'll tell you something. If that would be the case, we wouldn't be existing for long. Got to have a desire, a desire to see people saved. And then thirdly, in closing, and then I'm going to pray for people. Live a life worthy of repentance. Live live a life worthy of repentance. I, I love how it says it. Look at verse 20. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, then also in Judea and Gentiles also preached that they should repent, listen closely, and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Man, that is just not preached these days. You know you're born again and you've really repented when you change. Now some some of you have not really repented. You tiptoed in, prayed a sinner's prayer. You know, the sinner's prayer is not some magical thing. The sinner's prayer is a formula we've come up with in Christendom to lead people to Christ. You don't have to, somebody said, I, I, was, I was born again, I never heard that prayer before. Yeah, you were. But you came to a decision to believe on Jesus. We have our formulas, I think they're powerful, they, I think they can work. But real repentance, re, again, pen, think, rethink. Repentance, is a glorious gift where you begin to change the entire way that you live your life. And if you've not encountered God in a way that your life has been transformed, then I'm just gonna tell you, the reason is most likely that you've not truly repented. You've not really come to grips with the fact that you crucified Jesus. No, no, everybody did, no, no, no. It needs to become your personal reality to understand that you, through your sin, through your disobedience, through your lust, through your greed, all of the things that you, you personally, it must become personal. It's personal. Is it personal? Oh yes, it's personal. And you must repent yourself. Smile at me. The Lord answered the question to me about why we see so many times people in altars that don't actually live a transformed life. And the real reason is, he spoke to me and said, it's that they're not really repenting. I thought, oh, wow. My brother's not here tonight, so I'm just gonna brag on him for a second. My brother Chris is just back and he's over helping my mom out. Maybe he's online, I don't know. My brother been in church on and off for years. He would come and he would weep. He would come and get touched by God. He'd have hands laid on him. He'd fall out. And, and then he would go back and his life would go back into the same cycle. And I don't want to tell his whole story, but something happened one night while we're having one Wednesday night when I'm preaching off of a scissor lift in the parking lot at COVID when we weren't meeting inside, we kept meeting outside. And I felt the fire of the Holy Ghost as I was preaching and began to talk about people being set free. 
I looked right at the camera, just like I'm looking at the camera right now. And I said, God is setting you free along with some other words. He said, something happened to him. And he said, something changed and, and something broke off of him and he wept and he cried. He had gotten alone there in Southern California. He had to be isolated. He had gone through a surgery where he almost died and he couldn't be with people because of the surgery. And then there's all the lockdowns and all the, I don't know, what are they called? What are they called? Quarantining. My brother truly repented. He's not the same. My father said to, said to my other brother, said, you know, uh, Chris has the same religion as Daniel now. <laughs> what does that mean? My brother John, who's also a born again believer says, yeah, dad, yeah, it's receiving Jesus. <laughs> you know, it's being born again. Turning from the power of darkness to the power of God. You know who can do that for you? No one. You have to make that decision. And it's a glorious gift that comes from heaven. Why do we do what we do? Why are we commissioning? Why are we pressing? Because what God has done for us, the truth has been revealed. We cannot, we, oh, I, I can't, I can't stop. I can't shut up. I won't stop preaching. I won't stop praying. I can't do it. No, no headache's gonna stop me. I'm gonna continue to proclaim. I'm gonna, come on, how about you? How about you? Will you fulfill the plan of God for your life? Will you? Come on, smooth knees and an apathetic heart's not gonna get it done. No, passionate people who have been turned for darkness to the power of God. God will help you. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.